Palm Sunday? Isn't the year gone so fast? Is it just because we're getting older? <laughs> going down the avenue of honour. Pardon me? Going down the avenue of honour. Down the avenue of honour, yes. yes. So today begins uh, Holy Week, which culminates uh, next Sunday at Easter Sunday. So let's continue to delve into the Easter story on this Palm Sunday as we enter our Holy Week. For 38 years, Teddy uh, Kolek served as the mayor of Jerusalem. Um, he was an enormously popular man in his day. He often met with Christian leaders to discuss issues of mutual interest, especially those pertaining to Israel's security and the prospect of peace in the Middle East. But eventually, the questions would rise regarding Jesus and the Jews. Was he or was he not the Messiah of Israel? Now, many observant Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, everyone will, will recognise him. And on one occasion when Teddy uh, Collect uh, uh, was uh, asked if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, he craftily uh, and disarmingly answered in a very simple way. And he said, that when the Messiah comes, a committee of Christians and Jews should be formed, and uh, should compose that com that committee should c compose a list of questions, and then seek an audience with the Messiah. And at the top of the list of those questions should be this question: Sir, have you ever been here before? Now it's a good line, and one of those one you one you might expect a, a very good politician to use. And also, it also points out a truth this morning that after all is said and done, this is the whole difference between the Jews and the Christians. That question, sir, have you been here before? Christians answer one way, Jews answer another way. There's really no middle ground here. Either Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews or he wasn't. If he was, how is it that the Jewish people, by you know, by and large, didn't recognise him when he came nearly 2,000 years ago. And so Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3, tells us that the people misunderstood Jesus when he came. So how did that happen? Well, each verse of Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3, gives us one part of the answer. So let's delve into that, part 1. It says, they did not believe his message. Verse 1 says... Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, it's a good question. Who has believed our message? And the answer is almost no one. Jesus came as Messiah, but Israel wanted nothing to do with him. We know that, from, uh, we know that for a time Jesus did have a powerful ministry and a growing ministry, especially around the Galilee region. Thousands flocked to him to see uh, and watch him heal the sick and listen to his preaching. He, he, as, as his reputation grew, the common people uh, heard him gladly, the scripture says. If they didn't know who he was, they instinctively knew he wasn't like other religious leaders. We also know that many people followed him, many followed him for shallow reasons. They thought that he would proclaim himself king and lead a revolt against Rome or they liked his miracles or they admired his courage or they were drawn to his, 
to, to the beauty of his teachings. But multitudes turned back when confronted with the call to become his follower. So many left. Sadly, it's still the same today when Jesus calls for followers. At one point, Jesus asked, he's in a circle. Will you also go away? In John 6, 60, 67. And their answer is a classic answer. In verse 68, it says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So by the time Jesus came to Jerusalem for the final time, the nations or the nation was deeply divided over him. Even though the common people heard him gladly, they didn't know who he was. They they liked him, but they didn't worship him in a sense. To them, to, to, to them he was a great teacher, to them he was a, a, a miracle worker, but nothing more. For the religious leader, they were a different story. With few accepts, very few exceptions, they, they wanted to have nothing to do with him. They hated him so much that they actually plotted to kill him at length. They succeeded. John says in his gospel, in verses 1, sorry, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own people. He came to his own home. He came to the nation of Israel, but they didn't receive him. He came to the people who should have known him best, and they didn't want anything to do with him. They should have known him better. They, they knew he was coming. God had told them over and over and over again, many times and in many ways. So they had ample warning. Even some pagan astrologers from Persia had figured this out when they saw his star in the east. Moses said he was coming. King David said he was coming. Isaiah said he was coming. Jeremiah said he was coming. Daniel said he was coming. Micah said he was coming. Zechariah said he was coming. And Malachi said he was coming. Every book, every chapter, every page of the Old Testament testifies to the one great truth that he is coming. And that's the theme of the whole Old Testament, that God would one day send a Messiah to planet Earth to deliver the people of Israel. When Jesus finally arrived, they didn't believe it, and some of them decided to put him to death. Think of the long history of Israel. Over and over again, they rebelled against God's law. Time and time again, they killed the prophets who delivered God's message. And so it's no wonder that they crucified the Son of God. He came to his own people, to the one place where he might be welcomed, to his home, to his family. And they didn't want him. They didn't receive him. They didn't believe in him. And finally they crucified him. That rejection continues in large part to this very day. The next verse explains why the nation misunderstood who Jesus really was. They judged him insignificant. The second half of verse 2 says, or the first half, sorry, verse 2, 2a says, He grew up before them like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. So Jesus wasn't born in Rome. Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. When God decided to enter the world disguised as a man, he came in the most unlikely way. He came not as a conqueror, not as a world leader, but as a helpless little babe, born in a stable, 
in a little village of Bethlehem. Years later, his critics dis- dismissed him and, 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 asked, and asked and said, is this not the carpenter's son? It wasn't a compliment. It was meant to be a slur. These were people from his own hometown of Nazareth. They had seen him grow up. They knew Mary and Joseph. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. Matthew 13, 55 to 56 says, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get these things, all these things? In a sense, you can hardly blame the people of Nazareth for reacting the way they did. The people who knew him best, or thought they did, couldn't take him seriously. And the Bible prophecy is true. He was a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. Meaning that he didn't come from a promised Background. He didn't come from a privileged background. Jesus wasn't born into royalty. He didn't have blue blood heritage. He didn't come from the usual marks of greatness. So the rulers completely misunderstood him and his mission on planet Earth. The second half of verse 2 says, He had no beauty or majesty, to attract us to him, nothing in his, in his appearance that we, that we should desire. From, for 2,000 years, Jesus had, or for 2,000 years, people have wondered what Jesus looks like. Now, artists of every era have painted Jesus as they imagined him to be. Most of those paintings tell us more about the artist than they do about Jesus. The gospel writers tell us nothing about Jesus' physical appearance. We know he was Jewish and that he was raised in the Middle East. And we know he was raised in a workman's home. He was raised in the home of a carpenter. But they don't tell us anything about his height or his weight or the colour of his eyes, the colour of his hair, or anything about his, any of his distinctive features. Meantime, we would, you, meantime, we would usually see pictures of, 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 of Jesus um, uh, and Jesus is normally taller than his disciples and he normally has long flowing hair with light skin and dark eyes. Looks a bit like that, doesn't he? Like a beach boy. In movies, Jesus often has what sort of accent? A British accent, doesn't he? A very posh British accent many times. Now, I don't say all that to be critical because you have to start somewhere if you're going to paint a picture or make a movie. You can't have Jesus just as a shapeless ghost. But it's typically human to move from the known to the unknown. And we start with what we know, our own race, our own culture, our own language, or our own ideal physical specimen, and we move and we craft the unknown. So it's no surprise that in various cultures around the world, Jesus is often like the people in those various cultures. I've seen Chinese Jesuses, there's African Jesuses, there's Filipino Jesus, Norwegian Jesuses, and so on. In most Anglo-Saxon churches, Jesus looks very Northern European, doesn't he? Most of us have seen the Warner Salmon uh, paintings, the famous painting, The Head of Jesus. We've all seen that, haven't we? This 
is what millions of Sunday school people, Sunday school children, think Jesus looks like, with this soft glow around his head that seems to be radiating from his face. The overall effect speaks of reverence and holiness and power, all of it mixed with love and compassion that says to the onlooker, you can trust me. And it's no wonder it has been reproduced over 500 million times. It's in every $2 shop now, I think. (laughs) And op shop too. (laughs) I have no problem with the way Jesus has been portrayed across the century. So, So long as we remember that no one knows what he really looks like. Isaiah 53 verse 2 gives us only meaningful hints. Evidently, he didn't look like anything that Warner Salmon painted. In most Hollywood productions, Jesus is always standing out of the crowd. But Isaiah makes an opposite point. The people who rejected him did so precisely because he wasn't very impressive. Jesus was not a natural head-turner. He was not a born leader, uh, as, at least not in the way that we normally uh, use that phrase. Though he was the Son of God, he appeared on earth as an ordinary man. Though he came from the majesty of heaven, he hid his majesty behind a working man's face. Through some research of what a 2,000-year-old Galilean workman would look like, artists have developed these pictures. That's what a 2,000-year-old Galilean workman would have looked like. That's possibly what Jesus might have looked like. The Jews of Jesus' day missed this, just as many people miss it today, or do miss it today. Jesus' contemporaries had various opinions about our Lord, many of them quite wrong. In this instance, they concluded that Jesus simply couldn't be the Messiah because he didn't look the part. Now, you can be wrong about many things, in this life and still go to heaven. But you can't be wrong about Jesus and still go to heaven. That's the, that's the tragedy of unbelief, both then and now. Our final part three, they despised him for his suffering. And the first part of verse three says, he was despised and rejected by men. Jesus, was, Jesus has always been despised and rejected by men. The world has no use for the Son of God, but... Here is the eternal truth this morning. If you do not want Jesus as your saviour, you will one day face him as your judge. Let me say that again. If you do not want Jesus as your saviour, you will one day face him as your judge. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, Neil, the dark ages have called and they want you back. The people of the world have no problem with Jesus as their great high priest. A concept that probably they don't understand anyway. Or they have no no, no, uh, problem with Jesus as the Prince of Peace, which sounds good to almost everyone. But the world has a great issue with Jesus as judge, before whom they will one day stand. Now, you'll remember the scripture Rob read out from Philippians. Every knee will bow. Every time we'll confess. Jesus will be the eternal judge one day. And then the world shakes its fist in the air 
and says, who does he think he is? Jesus is not qualified to judge me. Which is pretty much what people were saying 2,000 years ago. People, even church people, accept and want a meek Jesus. They want the, the Walter Salmon version of Jesus, who knows his limits and makes no hard demands or extravagant claims. But they cannot reckon with a Christ who is both saviour and judge. And that brings us to our second part of verse 3. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. So did you know that the Bible never tells us that Jesus smiled or laughed? I assume that he did, but the Gospels never mention it. Perhaps because his whole life was marked with suffering. When he was born, Herod tried to kill him. When he began his ministry, the people of his own hometown took offence at him uh, and they tried to push him off a cliff. In the closing hours of his life, he was betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter. His suffering didn't begin on the cross, but it was his suffering that led him to the cross. In an ancient 12th century hymn, the second verse speaks to the issue of our sin and the death of Christ perfectly. It says, What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine, was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Saviour, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favour, and grant to me thy grace. That verse captures the whole problem of the human race. Mine, mine, was the transgression. We've done well in that department, haven't we? We've all done very well in that department. Mine, mine was the transgression. Our sins have cut us off from God, so we are left to our own feeble devices many times. Most of us think of ourselves as pretty good people, or at least we're not as bad as the bloke over there. And it's true, we haven't done all the terrible things that others have done. But still, our hands aren't clean. We have cheated. We have lied. We have gossiped. We have falsely accused. We have made excuses. We have cut corners. We have lost our temper. We have mistreated others. It shouldn't only be at Easter, but Easter is a great time to highlight this. When we finally allow ourselves to get a glimpse of the cross of Christ, we truly see how great our sin really is. In the light of Calvary, all our supposed goodness is nothing but filthy rags, the scripture says. Isaiah 53 contains the good news that we all need to hear. He was bruised for us. He was wounded for us. He was beaten, betrayed, mocked, scowled, um, scourged, sorry, crowned with thorns, crucified, all for us. Our sins drove Jesus to the cross. And that means he didn't go unwillingly. If our sins drove him there, his love this morning kept him there. The last part of verse 3 says, Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Twice in verse, in verse 3, Isaiah reminds us that people despised our Lord. 
That goes beyond rejection to a kind of settled hatred, doesn't it? They saw him suffering and they reckoned that he couldn't be they reckoned that he couldn't be the promised Messiah. And we esteemed him not means something like he's just nobody to us. The Jewish leaders added it all up and decided that Jesus wasn't worthy. All his worth was worth was 30 pieces of silver. So they bribed Judas, who betrayed Jesus, who was crucified by men who despised him. Jesus was truly the misunderstood Messiah. His own people misread misread him completely and utterly. They had him in a box labelled insignificant rabbi from Nazareth. The more he proved he didn't belong in that box, the more they hated him, counted him as nobody and ultimately despised him. So no wonder they had, or they were so rabid to kill him in the end. And so today, even in the 21st century, he still is the misunderstood Messiah today. The greatest mistake is to ignore him as if he doesn't matter, or to think that you can somehow postpone a decision. You can't wait until his return to casually walk up to him and say, Sir, have you been here before? We already know what the answer to that is, right? So he came to this earth 2,000 years ago as the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Don't make the same mistake that the Jewish peoples made so long ago. Don't put Jesus in a man-made box. Don't demand that he meets your expectations and your um, preferences. Christ has come. God has revealed his mighty arm of salvation. He did it on the first Easter 2,000 years ago. Christ has come. Do not despise him. Do not say he doesn't matter. Christ has come. And so will you open your heart this Easter time during this holy week? Christ has come. To those who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. And so what will you do with Jesus this holy week? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, when I consider the enormous weight of my sin and the eternal consequences of all my transgressions, I stand amazed and in awe that you should love me so much that you gave your only begotten Son to bear all my grief and carry all my sorrow. Father, accept my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.